Hey, this is Ryan Rutan from Startups.com, back for another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast with my partner and co-host, Will Schroeder. Will, at the risk of sounding like I'm shamelessly building you up, I'm going to rattle off a bunch of your accomplishments. And now you can pretend <laughs> you can pretend you're embarrassed if you want. I'll know the truth. But at the end, there is a twist. So you've started nine companies. You've sold three of them. Blue Diesel, GotCast, Unsubscribe.com. You've raised money from places like Founders Fund, 500 Startups, Mark Suster, First Round Capital. You've been a founder for 25 years. You started your first company at 19, Blue Diesel, which grew to $700 million, um, 650 people, $10 million a month in, in payroll, which then you know went on after a couple of trades to be a $3 billion company. In the last six years, we've grown startups.com to $100 million valuation. Uh, we've bought six companies along the way. Fundables hit $500 million in capital raise. LaunchRock has helped 500,000 companies launch. We've got more than 20,000 mentors on Clarity. And on startups.com as a platform, we have over a million users. Now, conspicuously missing from this list and pertinent to today's conversation <laughs> is a college degree. Uh, I want to know, I want to know how often do you look at that empty spot on your office wall and wish there was framed proof of putting up with somebody else's bullshit for four years? I mean, a college degree. <laughs> I remember. Uh, well, first off, exactly never. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, second off, I mean, man, I remember in 94, 95 going to my college and I was in college at the time, going to my college uh, guidance counselor. And I remember I, I was sitting across from her so excited. And I said to her, I said, look, I am dropping out of college right now. Normally, <laughs> normally that's followed up by somebody talking about how, you know, the family problems or they're, they're failing out of college. I was basically looking for a high five to tell her how excited I was to drop out of college. <laughs> she looked at me like incredulously. She's like, I'm, guess, I'm guessing her expectations fell short. Yeah, oh, God. Yeah. And, and, she, and she looked at me. She's like, I, I, I don't understand. Like, you it sounds like you're telling me you want to drop out of college. I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm starting an internet company. And I remember, I'll never forget she said this. She looked at me dead in the eye and she says, what's the internet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, there was a time, right? I mean, there was a yeah. time when, you know, no one knew what the hell the internet was. And I just remember thinking to myself, damn, <laughs> right. maybe she's right. Maybe this isn't such a good idea. And it was, it was such a, important kind of monumental moment to me because I was so convinced that I could go start something, this internet thing, you know, it was one of the first web design companies, but you know, who knew back then, but it didn't occur to me at the time that I actually didn't know what I was doing, right? Like I had no credentials for, for this new career whatsoever. And at a time, you know, people forget about this, but at a time when there was, wasn't any precedent for being a 19 year old person starting an internet company. Now it's passe. It's almost like yeah. if you're not 19 right. starting an internet company, right? <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> I'm looking at your resume here and it looks like between the ages of uh, 16 and 21, you didn't uh, you didn't found anything. So yeah. why are we talking? <laughs> what a slacker, right? But what was interesting to me was it was an era where um, you were used to seeing the pasty faced guy on the cover of Forbes that was, you know, graying in the temples uh, talking about being the young CEO of a new company, Right. And here I was, <laughs> right. also pasty face. He's only in his uh, late forties, <laughs> except where a beard would be. I had a bunch of pimples. And what was interesting to me is, for that moment, it didn't occur to me yet how massively underqualified I was to go on the journey I was about to go on. 
right? Because, you know, I, I didn't have any experience. I was a theater major. I mean, I wasn't even interested in business. Well, when you don't know what you're doing, having a background in the theater can come in handy, I would imagine. It, it did come in handy because I was faking it for a very long time. I was basically acting, <laughs> acting my entire way. Who knows? Maybe I still am. But I jump into this company, Start Blue Diesel. In short order, like any other founder, I realize how woefully over my toes I am. And so at that moment, and I think this is common for founders, at that moment, I felt like there was someone else, some Yoda guru that had all the answers to this thing called business. And if I could just one day get their experience or go through the Jedi trials or whatever the hell you had to do to become the dude that was on the cover of Forbes, that I would then have the ability to become a CEO, to be a founder. And for a long time, I held that belief. And this is kind of the genesis of all of this. Years later, the company starts growing exponentially fast. We were really fortunate. We won some big accounts. Things did really well. And fast forward about six years later, and I'm 25 at the time. And I'll never forget, by that point, the company had grown quite a bit. But at that point, I remember looking around going, you know, it's been six years at this point. I haven't you know, I haven't gotten a degree, I haven't gotten an MBA, I haven't done all any of the things that people expect someone to do in order to kind of earn their way into that job. And I'm doing a pretty good job. Like things are going pretty well. Like, you know what I mean? The company's growing like crazy. I seem to be hiring people. We seem to be making money. We seem to be winning clients. I seem to be doing all the things that a CEO does. And technically, I'm not qualified whatsoever. It was at that moment that I realized that my age wasn't really my delimiter. Now I had some experience I needed to get, but I was just as capable at 25 years old as I was going to be for the rest of my life. And at sure. that point, like everything changed for me, how I looked at, at talent, how I looked at myself. And it was the first time I really, it really occurred to me that the degree, the, 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 the level of experience, not that it didn't matter. It didn't, choose my future. Well, you were also in an industry at the time that was largely undefined. There, there wasn't anybody who had a ton of experience. And and really, the nature of, of a lot of what we do in startups is under conditions of extreme uncertainty, where there isn't a precedent. And so I think that to, to boil down some of what you were just talking about, is to say that there's a bit of a difference between experience, which helps you to shortcut things that you know you need to do, and just raw processing power, which is to say, I can figure stuff out. And we don't tend to get better at just figuring stuff out as, as we get older, right? <laughs> like to your point, I think like you were probably as capable or more capable of just gutting through things at 19 as, as we are in our 40s. Right. And where I, where I think that started to become a, a big challenge for me was I had this blatant insecurity that because I was so young and I just assumed everybody that was much older than me kind of had all the answers and by way of that they were more capable, I started to project that insecurity across my entire staff, right? So I would look at somebody that was a year out of college and I would think, well, I know I didn't know anything and I wasn't capable, so I guess they're not capable too. And so I relegated them to roles and jobs that were specific to what I deemed their level of responsibility. And to be clear, so does the entire rest of the world. 
Yeah. Right. That so, so this, this wasn't unique normal to me. Normal pro- career progression, right? That's the rubric we use to measure people. What have you already done? How long have you been doing it? Okay, that tells me what you can do today, uh, right. which which is dangerous. And, and I don't think it's accurate, right? Now, again, if we were to separate two really critical attributes, if you will, on the left side, we've got your raw talent, your creativity, your IQ, your ability to communicate. Again, just those raw innate talents. On the right side, you've got your experience, just some shit you don't know yet, right? You know, you have never forecasted the financials of a company. You just don't know that, right? Right. What I think tends to happen is we tie those two together, right? We say that if you don't have the experience, then that delimits your raw capability, right? And what I was learning to do was separate the two to say, here are the reasons I can't move forward because of experience, and here are the reasons I can't move forward from raw capability. There's a bit of a reverse of the Peter principle here, right? Which is to say that, you know, you tend to get promoted to your highest level of incompetence. And and this is saying (laughs) that we're, we're arbitrarily slowing people down because we're waiting for them to prove that they're capable at the stage that they're already at. We're also doing the opposite arbitrarily giving people credit for things they haven't done yet. Ergo, I went to this college, I earned that degree. Awesome. Have you done it yet? Yeah. Right? Like, like <laughs> I, I, I've written books on Photoshop. I'm not very good at it. I've taken courses on photography. I'm not very good at it, right? Yeah. Just because I learned it, it's not the same as me being good at it. Yeah, nor, nor do you need that credential uh, to prove that you're good at it, which I, I think is where we get into the, the meritocracy that is the, the startup space. Which is incredible to me. And, and it's something I know that we've made the core of our fabric at startups.com. And, you know, Ryan, you and I, and a lot of even the other senior managers, on paper, our resumes don't qualify us to do these jobs. Right. Oh, I've tried to destroy every every copy of my resume that might have ever existed, <laughs> so that nobody can verify exactly that fact. Yeah, no, and 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 what's fascinating to me is we've got this weird dichotomy where we're saying if someone has these prefabricated degrees, this 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 track, then they must be qualified to be good at their job, right? And I really want to distinguish those two facts. There's a difference between saying I I have the the education and the experience to be able to do this job. And then there's another one to say that I'm actually good at it, right? Sure. And and I haven't seen a strong correlation between those two, right? I've seen more success, and, and maybe it's because I'm surprised by it, from folks that don't have the the innate credentials, but have so much hustle and so much ambition and so much creativity that they just kill it at their jobs. Yeah, you know, I it, to me, it's it's less about where you've been, i.e. the timeline of, of your career and what you did while you were there, right? If, if you went to college, great, but talk to me about like what happened while you were there. And if the answer is I took classes and then like, <laughs> right. I got it, I got a degree and now uh, I'm a marketer, right? Right, then right. That's that, that tells, that does tell me everything I need to know, which is that, uh, uh, we should finish lunch as quickly as we can, and I should never talk to you again. Whereas, you know, I, I talked to to somebody who's a bit more of a hustler, and I said, "Well, you know, yeah, I was in college. Um, you know, my, my my GPA was only a two point nine because I was spending most of my time on this other thing that I was super interested in. And here's what I did with it. Like that tells me that put into a situation and given some resources, this person has the ability to to figure shit out, 
and do things, right? They may not have been the, the things they were supposed to be doing at the time per the, the, the kind of metrics of college, but it still shows me some initiative, some ability to take resources and do something with them. That's far more indicative of this is somebody I want to hire, this is somebody I want to work with, this is somebody I at least want to play test than I had a 4.0 and I was the captain of the debate team and all these other accolades that people stack up as if that tells me anything, anything at all about their capability within a job. Right. And, and I, I really try to separate what have you learned from what have you done, right? And, and I'm not discounting learning. Learning is valuable, right? The experience is valuable, but it's not the same as what you've done. It's not, right? It's not. And it's not valuable at all if you haven't applied it, because Correct. that's often the step that ends up being the one that people trip over. They're like, I've learned everything about this topic. And then the minute you go to apply it, it just falls apart. That's where truly rubber meets the road. And that's where, that's where the merit comes in, right? So I sometimes feel a little bit of entitlement. Uh, we have someone come in that will interview and they'll come from a top school and they'll say, you know, I, I graduated this program, this school. And so therefore I deserve, you know, a great job. And I keep scratching my head going, I, I in all of my years, have I run into somebody where what they've said is, I know the answer. I learned it in college, right? <laughs> like, like all of the practical application knowledge that I've right. yet to see has all come from real world experience. And this isn't me knocking college, right? I just want to be clear. I'm separating the two. College is wonderful and the experience is wonderful so long as it doesn't present an entitlement to be the same sure. as, and this is what I accomplished. Right. I, I went through that. Therefore, I have earned X, Y, or Z, right? Yeah. That's, that's not what it's about. It's, it's when, when, when a creative comes to me and says, well, I went to art school and we learned this. I'm like, fuck, who cares? Right? Like, like, <laughs> right? Show me your like, portfolio. Oh, well, it's not really indicative of who I am as an artist at this point in my life because, you know, that was under somebody. Just go away. Please just go away. Yeah. Like, man, I don't care how many times you've been to practice. If you can't score points in the game, you're not an athlete. You don't <laughs> right? get to play, right? And, and, and well, so my dad used to say that, right? Practice makes permanent, not perfect. Practice makes permanent. You're practicing something the wrong way. And, and college is pretty good at that in a lot of ways. It's like, hey, let's teach you one of several various outmoded ways of doing something um, just by the nature of how academia works. It's the way it happens. It doesn't make you perfect. It makes you permanent. You learn something. And again, when it comes to applying that, it becomes really tough, right? Like if we were trying to hire developers right out of college who had never done anything but their college courses, the vast majority of them would fall well short of the mark of what we need people to be able to do because they weren't taught on the platforms that we use. They weren't taught scenarios that we see in real life, right? They were, they were coding the hello world stuff and it just isn't applicable to what actually happens your first day on the job. Absolutely. And you often weren't doing things with consequences. You were maybe getting graded on it and, and that has, you know, kind of a, a contextual con consequence to academia, but it ain't the same as if we don't launch this and we don't make money on this, we don't get to eat, right? <laughs> Those are real consequences, <laughs> right. right? People Man, maybe we jobs. should try that, right? Like yeah. Maybe yeah. Your, your GPA should be directly linked to your meal plan. <laughs> I think mine was. But let me build on that because it, this isn't just about college, right? And again, all of this is coming back to the founder and how 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 the, the founder, the founding team views both itself and its capabilities and its entitlements as well as the staff. But it's it's not specific just to college. I'll, I'll give you another example. Come from the other direction, not just the young person coming out of college, the older person coming out of corporate America, coming out of big job, right? Coming to your startup and saying, I was such, such, and such at my old company, therefore I know. 
bullshit, man. You were the senior vice president at another company, right? At that job with those conditions, with those clients, with that team, with that real budget where we're still sitting on cardboard boxes, right? Like your experience there, while helpful, isn't the same as your entitlement here. You kind of have to earn your entitlement here. Sure. So that's, so that's interesting. So there's this sort of dual challenge in that if you don't have much of a history, don't try to use what little history you have to dictate your future. But in the same way, even if you have a long trajectory and a long career, doesn't necessarily mean you can, you can do that either. Right. And you've, you've written about this before, Will, and, and you said, you know, it's hard to get people to stop thinking about their past as the delimiter of their future, whether that's through a lot of experience or through a little experience, it's dangerous to use that as the vector for the future. Right. And, and, and again, I, I keep coming back to this concept of entitlement whereby, again, we're going to use an older executive, which oddly means older being you and I now, right? But an older Careful. executive kind of, I know, right? A bunch of relics. But an older, an older executive kind of coming into the company and saying, I've been selling for 20 years. It's like, dude, who cares, right? Are you selling now, right? Like, right. I, I, I don't like this idea that people can use their 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 badge of honor to say what I've done in the past automatically entitles me to a certain treatment or a certain expectation for the future because often people are kind of resting on laurels or resting on a career that's just not relevant anymore. Yeah, it's, it's as if when people come through the door, they forget that the reason for presenting these accomplishments, history, accolades is to give the hiring manager, whether that's the CEO or, or somebody in, in middle management, whoever is going to be making the decision on this individual, some shortcuts to understanding whether this person is right for the role or not. It's not a matter of, well, I've, I've checked all the boxes, so therefore I'm hired. Right? Well, that decision is still up to us. And right. so it always surprises me how little people do to try to contextualize their experience into our situation. You know, That's if you great. can at least draw those lines, right? Say, because I did this, it's relevant to what you're doing in this way. Not just like, well, you know, I, I led a sales team and I was, I was our, you know, I routinely in the top three. Okay, cool. Like what makes me think you're gonna be able to do that here? How were you supported? What was it that you did to drive that outcome? Not just right. that you were involved in a team that won, right? It's like saying like, I have a Super Bowl ring. Oh, what did you do, Ryan? Oh, I was a statistician, right? Not that that's not important, but like <laughs> right, right. you don't want, if I'm applying to throw a football, you might want to know that little detail about me that I've never thrown the football, but uh, I was on the winning team. I, I think in both cases, wh whether it's more senior person, more junior person coming into the org, what we've learned and I think what we've excelled at at startups.com and with our team, and, and it's been a lot of trial and error. I mean, we've had a lot of hit or miss over the years. But I think what's, what I'm finding is working really well for us is we're giving people far more responsibility than their past or their, their resume has uh, entitled them to. And we're judging them on what happens when we kind of over-accelerate a bit, right? We're saying, if you're as good as you think you are, here's 2x the responsibility, not even the workload, but 2x the responsibility. There's an archetype of the person we're looking for that will grab onto that and get so excited about it, right? Maybe get a little overwhelmed, but that's okay, right? There's there's a certain type of person that I think is made for startups that appreciates jumping into the deep end, right? And, sure. and, and learning how to swim that way. And I think when you 
limit people in, in their responsibility to just what you think their experience level uh, entitles them to now, I, I feel like you don't get a chance to test that metal. If that makes sense. That's exactly it. No, no, it's exactly it. I mean, I go back to go back to the exercise we used to do in kindergarten, stretch and grow, right? We all right. started the day that way. And that's exactly what it takes. If you aren't given the opportunity or even having the opportunity of foisted on you in, in terms of responsibility to stretch those capability boundaries, whether they're real or perceived, you're not going to have a chance to grow. And so I think that it is one of the most important things that we can do for our team, anybody can do for the team, is to make sure that they're in a situation where they have that room to run, uh, you know, with some guidelines, with some rails on it. But if they're not given the opportunity to stretch out and grow, they're not going to. There's no version of, I keep doing the exact same thing over and over, and somehow that adds up to leveling up into the next role or the next level responsibility. That's just not how it works. You don't get the ability to handle the next level until you start taking on the next level in reality. And I see the opposite. Like I see a a case where most founders actually feel the opposite way. They, They feel like they're not capable enough right? They feel like, well, I'm not ready for this job. I'm 24 years old. And how could I be possibly experienced enough for this role as a CEO? And in all fairness, you actually may not be, right? You're probably not experienced enough. No one ever is. No one's ever experienced enough to be the founder. That's like being experienced enough to be the president. Nobody is. It's it's too complicated no. of a job. Right. Also, to say I'm not capable of doing it. Well, that's when I when I separated those two things, Ryan. When you and I talked about the idea of capability on one side and experience on the other, how do you know you're not capable enough? You know, capable is going to be IQ, creativity, all these different stats. Have you really tested it? Right? Like, have you given yourself enough time? You'll definitely find more experienced people if you're earlier in your career. That doesn't necessarily you're going to find more capable people. And I think that's a, a massive difference in how we think about kind of this this concept of am I ready, am I entitled, et cetera? Sure. And, I, and I'm sure the mileage varies kind of role to role depending on how valuable experience is, right? If you're going to end up doing the same thing day in, day out, experience ends up being very valuable because it will teach you optimized ways of doing that. It will teach you how to be very efficient in the role. But, you know, backing up on what you said, when you're inexperienced, but you're facing situations that you wouldn't have ever had a chance to experience. And sometimes you never will again. It isn't about having the appropriate experience to handle that challenge. It's about how you handle the things that you have never faced before. Right. And that I think is, is hallmark of true leadership is the ability to react. And unfortunately there isn't, there aren't a lot of great tests to prove that out before the fact, but I think that's a great reminder that at all levels of work, there's some level of leadership required, even if it's just leading yourself through your day and getting your task work done. And so I think we need to give people that room, that freedom again to, to run and, and test those limits and to make sure that, you know, we have enough shots on goal with them to see how do they react when, when things aren't exactly certain, when things aren't prescribed for them. And it's never going to be easy to measure, but uh, there isn't really a great way of assessing that before the fact. I also don't think any every founder, CEO, or uh, founding team is necessarily ready to let other people run as fast as they can run, right? Again, because they may have been brought up on this this linear thinking that, hey, I'm I'm 25 years old in my career. Therefore, uh, I've been told by my dad, my mom, and everybody else that until I hit 35, 45, I'm not ready for senior leadership. Yep. If, if that's your mentality, and, and I'm, I'm going to point out how I think that is 
largely flawed thinking, if that's your mentality, how you feel about your own career, you're then going to propagate that to all the people that report to you. And you're going to deliver sure. their opportunities because of your own prejudice, which yeah, I hell, did. We have a rule. We have a rule in this country that says you can't be the president until you're a certain age, right? So we 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 have definitely adopted this uh, this this ideology that you know with with age and experience comes capability. And to your point, I, I think it's I think it's time we break that down a bit and and really think about how we're thinking about these things. And I, I found this wonderful exercise again, and folks in all ends of the the experience spectrum, whereby when you give someone a task or a project that's open-ended, where it doesn't have a prescriptive outcome, in other words, you say, get us 2x more customers, or you say, invent the product that we're going to work on next. More than anything, that tends to separate the people who are truly self-motivated and have that kind of their own level of ambition from the folks that are just order takers and are just kind of like churning through these very linear kind of this is exactly my job type roles. And, and, and I've seen the shining examples of people who just kick ass at their job that are far more capable than their experience or resume would tell you consistently performing on open ended tasks. Now, I agree with you. Let me start by saying that. But now I want to play devil's advocate just a little bit. Oh, yeah, please. And ask what happens when is there a line? Do you think there's a line that you can cross between giving people open-ended assignments and giving them flexibility and people feeling like there's not enough direction from leadership? And where do you think that line exists? Oh, boy. Uh, considering people usually point the finger at me when they're saying that, <laughs> I think it exists a lot. You know, and I think it's, it's a valid question. Why right? do you think I ask? <laughs> This is a very backhanded way of asking me a very specific question now. Uh, I think, yes, you can give somebody, you know, so much running room that you let them run off a cliff, right? And so so I think, you know, some yeah. appropriate parameters should exist. However, and I don't know, maybe this is maybe it's just my personal style, but I feel like the folks I'm looking for want as much running room as they can get, right? Like I, I agree. I, I agree I, with that too. And what we've seen, you know, we've got some extremely young members uh, on our executive team, right? You know, as young oh, as- I'm blushing. Yeah, <laughs> not you. Uh, <laughs> you know, like our our youngest member is uh, in, in in his early 20s and the, the oldest is some guy in his 40s. And so- we, I know both those guys. <laughs> I'm neither uh, of them, but- Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, a, a fairly a fairly significant- um, uh, age gap, but the folks that are they're on the, the executive team that are younger all have one thing in common. They all perform best when all the parameters are taken off. They also perform best when we never think about how much experience they don't have, because that's literally what we're talking about when assigning a task. All we think about is here's the task. We think this person has a tremendous amount of capability to burn through it. Let's just drop it on them and let them run. And you know what, and in, in, in Ryan, we've been at this a long time. We've tried this with people uh, of all different experience levels. It consistently breaks for the wrong people. I think what you're saying is that it breaks in the right cases, which is to say that like it, when it, it tells us what we need to know about somebody. Yeah. And, and, and when think, they're the wrong person for the role, it breaks them or the process breaks them. Right. And, and what we're yep. saying is you can move as fast as you want in the organization so long as you run at your speed at the fastest version of your speed. In other words, if I say you're 22 years old, you're coming out, out with, with a marketing degree from X university, I don't even care what the university is, 
and you're saying that you want to lead, uh, lead paid acquisition for the company. Okay, that's interesting. You've never really done it in a meaningful way. You did a couple internships where you played around with it. I'll give you a task. Here's a certain amount of budget. Here is a specific acquisition goal. Go make that happen. What I'd prefer you didn't do, uh, if you didn't have to, is come back to me with the answer with the questions to the answers to every part of the test. Right? Sure. Google it. Figure it out. Right. <laughs> right. But the right person, they don't want to come back to you and, and, and be handheld. They they want to go figure it out for themselves, and more importantly, they want to crush that number. Yep. Right. And hand them directions. Hand them the direction to go in. Right. Hand them the outcome that you're after. Hand them the objectives that you want them to reach. Give them the freedom to do that. And then what we want to come back aren't more questions. We want we want outcomes to come back. Right? Absolutely. We want to see results at that point. Absolutely. And I think one more there's one more piece of devil's advocacy in me over this over this concept. Please. And one that one that I've had uh, some struggles with in the past, uh, and this predates startups.com, but it's this notion that when you're giving individuals freedom of how to accomplish their goals, the time in which to do it, the, the, the methodology that gets them there in a vacuum on a single path. I think that it's, it's very easy to see the benefits where I personally have seen this breakdown a bit is when you start to do this organization wide, you start to lose a little bit of cohesion unit to unit or team member to team member. And this can throw things into a, a bit of a, uh, a stressful situation for everybody involved, whereby you've got some dependencies, right? If, if work was completely independent, if what I did was completely independent from what you do or completely independent from what Elliot does or anybody else on the team, I think that there, there's no issue with this. But to the extent that we're inextricably linked in the outcomes that we're trying to drive, and sometimes there are strong dependencies on these. Let me, let me give you an example. Elliot would come to me, let's just go back five or six years in time and say, hey, Ryan, I've got this idea for for a new product that I want the sales team to to be able to offer to to our audience. And here's what it is. And I say, okay, cool. Probably give me about a month to be able to deliver on that. He's like, okay, cool. We're going to start selling it tomorrow, right? So there's like this. There's this like we both have our objective. We both have the freedom to go and figure out what we want to do. But when the the timelines or maybe even the the directionality of the outcome becomes incongruent. How do you balance that? How do you make sure when you're sitting on the top of this thing as the founder that that there's some balance there so that everything kind of keeps moving together? Well, here, here's where I think it gets uh, even trickier than that. Every time I say, go do something you've never done before, I'm also running the risk that you won't actually get it done. Right. You know, if I say I need to I didn't know that was an option. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's been proven that that can actually happen. You know, if I say here, I want you to run the four minute mile. That's cool unless you don't do it right in all of this. Hey, let's let's create a meritocracy. It's it's highly based in the fact that people are actually following through with these big opportunities. I just want to be clear and I'll tie this back to what you're saying. Most people fail at this, right? This isn't this isn't yeah. the case where we're this amazing meritocracy and everyone gets an opportunity and everyone crushes it. Everyone doesn't crush it. Most people fail, right? So when we're talking about all of these parallel initiatives, like you're talking about, like things you would run with Elliot, et cetera, and we're talking about are they congruent with each other, I think part of the the bigger challenge you start to run into is sometimes they're not congruent because people are running kind of their own path, going their own direction. But at the same time, you're often taking people way out of their comfort zone 
in inviting a tremendous amount of failure. And I don't know that a lot of CEOs or a lot of managers kind of have that luxury. Hey, I'd love to give people more opportunity, but I kind of can't afford for you to fuck this up. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's where the, you know, I think setting the, the objective and realistic milestones really becomes important because, and, and it, you just said this, but opportunity does not necessarily mean success, right? Opportunity means Absolutely. You've, you've got the, the chance to do something, right? There's, there's a big difference between opportunity and actually exercising that, that opportunity. Uh, speaking of exercise, right? There's no shortage of gyms in this country. So there's plenty of opportunity to work out. And yet, and yet. <laughs> when I look around, it seems that there's a lot of people who aren't living up to their opportunity, to the potential of the opportunity, right? Agreed. And, and, and also to be fair, there's a big delta between when people say, I want more responsibility, I want more opportunity, and them actually meaning that, right? So often people will come to us and say, man, like, you know, how can I advance? I, I want to be able to do more. And there's always this little voice in the back of me that are saying, do you, right? Because that's really hard, right? Yeah. Like, you know, what they're really saying is, I want to be given more responsibility, often more compensation, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, I want to get paid more. Yeah, yeah. I want the payment part, but, uh, you know, like I, I'm a little fuzzy on, on, on the whole have to work more, right? Or I'd, like you to, I'd like you to explain to me how we can de-risk my next salary increase, right? <laughs> like for me specifically. Well, and, and, and so it's, it's, it's not that people aren't willing to put in some more effort. It's often they don't realize that they're not capable of what that next level is. So they're like, well, hey, give me a shot. You know, I, I want a shot at management. It's like, dude, management isn't a walk-on position, right? Like, right. like management assumes exactly, that yeah. you've proven that you can make lots of good decisions. Anybody can tell other people what to do. Getting them to do things when they don't want to, right, or aren't capable, or getting out of a shitty situation, that's management, right? Doing performance reviews and assigning tasks, that's just administrative, right? Yeah. It's, it's, so when people say, hey, you know, I, I want this next opportunity, again, it often involves management, et cetera. It's a risk on behalf of, of the organization to give them that opportunity because there's a real cost if they get it wrong. Right. Yeah. And so, so when, when we're trying to create this meritocracy within the company, we're trying to say, we want to push you harder. We want to take you out of your comfort zone in a good way, but we also have to be mindful of the cost to the organization when we go to do it. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's the, this is the Peter principle, right? Which is to say that you've now promoted somebody into a position that they're least likely to succeed in or less likely to succeed in than they were or less capable of succeeding than they were in, in the prior role. But so how do we, how do we balance that against what we've been saying this entire time, which is that experience and, and track record aren't indicative of your ability. Do you feel like there's, there's a difference in the way that gets interpreted when it's time to talk about being a manager as opposed to being a player? Yeah. I think, I think what we've done well is we've said, look, you've got two or three initiatives, two or three projects that you're working on. One of them is, is, is a bit of a moonshot, right? One of them is a, you're really on this to see if you can do more than you normally do. The other two have to get done and they're, they're well within your wheelhouse, right? And we've seen time and time again, that the right person will just crush it at the moonshot project and earn their spot on the team, right? Again, regardless of where they came from, you know, whether they had more experience, less experience, the right archetype that we're looking for wants that increased responsibility, wants to move out of their comfort zone, and they'll really kind of glom onto the project that allows them to get them there. 
the wrong person, when given the, the increased responsibility and the, the opportunity to kind of earn their spot on their team, will say, well, tell me exactly how to do it. Tell me exactly how to not get it wrong and kind of handhold me through that process. Right? It's like, well, we could, but if we had to handhold you, we'd just hire somebody that already knew the answer. Sure. So we've talked a lot about again, handing people opportunity, opportunity being given, freedom being given. What control does the individual have in all this? How, how much capability or, or ability do they have in setting their own path, right? What, what can people do in the context of a career, whether you're sitting at, at the helm as a CEO or a founder, um, or you're within the organization, what's the best way to support this type of meritocracy and growth within one? You got to ask for stuff that's beyond your capability. It's it's just that simple, right? And I would say there's there's a few levels of how you can do that because everyone's going to have their own different situation within a company at present. At the very least, at a baseline, you've got to be willing to go to your manager, assuming you know you're an employee in the company, and say, "I want to do more. Where can I step up?" Right now, if you say to a manager, "Where can I step up?" and he or she does not have an answer to, to that question, yeah. they don't deserve to be a manager. But, but, but sure. that, that notwithstanding, sometimes there aren't more opportunities. Just to be clear, sometimes, you know, if somebody's working um, at the cashier at McDonald's and, and goes to their manager and says, how can I do more? It's like, well, you're sort of a cashier. Right now, a good manager yeah. would say, well, let me explain to you, like, you know, how you can be great at this job to get to the next level. But I'm just pointing out that there isn't always an opportunity. That's it. Hold, hold on that point. Hold please, on that please. point for just a second first, which is be really good at this job first, right? So I think that one of the challenges that, that I've routinely encountered over the years is that people will come and ask me like, what do I have to do to get to the next level? Which again, often means like more comp, more responsibility, a different role. Uh, sometimes it's vertical, sometimes it's a horizontal. Like how do I go and do this instead? For sure. Saying like, have you fully kicked the shit out of your current role? Right. Because to me, that's always an indicator. It doesn't mean that you're going to stay there, right? but it means that you know, you've know you done what was asked of you. You've gone beyond what was asked of you. To your point, they always need to reach a little bit, but I think that reach needs to be predicated on having done as much as they can within the current role and expanding the current role and then reaching for the next one. Nothing is quite as aggravating to me as somebody who if you were just to ask me in a vacuum, like, how's that person performing, that they'd be somewhere anywhere below the A, the A level, I'd be saying, like, you know, why are they asking this question? They're not performed in the current role. They want to know what's next. Why aren't they worried about, like, killing this one? Yeah. This is where you are now. Do as much as you can here first. Yeah. Then let's talk about what happens next. You know, I grew up uh, in the Northeast playing hockey. And I was on the third line of our of a high school hockey team, which if, if anybody knows about lines, that's not the line you want to be on. Right? That's, that's one step <laughs> from not being on the team. And yeah. and I would I remember going to my coach and saying, hey, coach, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm working really hard. I'm, you know, kind of putting the time in. How can I get become a starter? How can I get to, from the second line to the first line? And he said, you're not that good on the third line, dude. <laughs> like you're, you yeah. know, you're, you're playing center on the third line. You're not scoring a lot of goals, which is why you're on the yep. third line. Right? It's like, that simple, right? Yeah, Be better than at least one person on the second line. Yeah, right? exactly. That's a very simple answer to that question. And, and so, so it's, it's, it's not okay for him to say, you know what? I'm just going to put you, I'm going to make you a starter. I'm going to put you on the first line because you asked for it, right? I've got to earn it. I've got to be better than everybody else on the third line and then ask for a spot on the second line. And, and I've got to prove that I belong there, right? Uh, sure. Obviously asking for it doesn't entitle me to it. And I don't think anybody would think that, 
But conversely, kind of sticking with that, if I ask for that responsibility and my manager, my coach in this case, doesn't at least give me a path to get there, then the failing's on them, right? And, and, and I think as a CEO, as a, as a founder, someone, a manager in the organization, if you don't create a path for your team to be able to step way above their level, then, then that's a failing on you, right? And I think that's a huge miss in an organization. And I think I see it all the time, like all of corporate America for that matter. Yeah, I mean, they they talk about these, you know, the career paths, and they may be well structured in terms of laying out, you know, you're you're a an analyst level one, you're an analyst level two, you're an analyst level three, but all that's really saying is that we've created some some sort of pass fail logic gates to arbitrarily slow you down in a lot of cases because if somebody is really good, then having to put in the time to prove out analyst one, analyst two, analyst three, or whatever arbitrary bullshit roles you've made up for people can really slow progress. And that's a huge challenge within a startup company. We need everybody performing at the highest level that they're capable of. And so I think this, this does create this dichotomy of saying that like, look, we need you to be capable in whatever you're doing, but we also need you to be stretching yourself as often and as far as you can, such that we can get you to your highest level of operation as quickly as possible. There's no no incentive in a startup company. And there may be incentives. I've never really thought about this. I mean, there's certainly incentive incentives for the people who are already managing these folks, because right. quite often you're talking about somebody taking over your job, right? Or getting enough people to take over your current job or level to propel you to the next. Right. It doesn't really work that way in the startup environment. And so we don't have the same incentives. The incentives are we need to gain as much forward momentum as possible. We need to be pulling this thing as quickly as we can. And, and as, and as, as hard as we can, but we can't do that without putting everybody into a position where they have that opportunity to run, but are also currently doing the best they can in their job. Yeah, I agree. And, and look, just to be clear, I don't think everybody in the organization, you know, has to have this this Rudy moment where you know where, where they're put into <laughs> where, where they're put into their right. this this new responsibility they wouldn't have otherwise had. Some people are just really good at the job that they have, right? And I think it's important to recognize that too. I don't think we've ever put a person in a position where they should have just been doing the job that they had. They should have been on the third line. Like they, they're just really good at being on the third string. And we gave them an opportunity. They failed and they, they kind of got disproportionately penalized for it. I think while because of who we are and the nature of what we do, we always want to look for kind of that diamond in the rough, right? We want to find that, that, that third string person who could be the starting quarterback type of thing. But, but let's, let's be real. Like, only a small percentage of any organization is going to fit that mold. And, and so, so I'm, I'm just using that as a kind of a, a, a bit of a caveat to say, I also don't believe that people should be penalized for, quote, just doing their job. Sure. Uh, nor should they be penalized, I don't think, for failing at the reach goals, right? When you, when you do give somebody the opportunity to run further than their current role indicates they have the capability for, you have to be a bit care, careful there about setting people up for failure. Right. So we don't know if you can run this fast, but we're going to let you try. And I think that setting clear expectations around how much we want them to be able to run that fast, but about what happens if they don't. And, and I think that can also be a challenge. It can be super demotivating if you're given things to accomplish and either personally or through team dynamics or something else undercuts your ability to do that, even if it is you, um, especially if it's you probably can, can be really demotivating. So I think we have to be careful in how we assign this freedom uh, because as you said, we can give somebody enough room to run off a cliff and, and that has its own dangers. Well, I think what's interesting too is 
if you give someone the opportunity to kind of step up and they get to see what the next level is like and they fail, the one advantage it does give you is it gives them the, the understanding firsthand that they ain't ready, right? I'll go back yep. to my hockey example because this happened, right? Coach did put me in <laughs> at a starter position. I'll never forget this. We were playing, and I was a freshman in high school. We were playing, puck goes into the, into the corner of the boards. I go to get it, and this defenseman from the other team comes full sprint. I didn't even see him coming. All I remember is someone saying, look out, <laughs> and then yeah. just being on my back, literally seeing stars. I, I got knocked out. I got hit so hard that I got knocked out, right? Thinking to myself, nope, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> I'm yeah, not, I'm not ready lines. at awesome. all. And, and, and I think that would have been much more fun to watch from the sidelines. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I'll just, I'll just drag myself back to the boards right now. Um, but, but my, my point is, I do think there is some valuable lessons to be learned, even in the the failure, so to speak, of the task, because it makes you realize kind of where you are and where you're not, kind of where you need to get better. I never became a better skater until I got knocked out into the boards. Right? And I think I think there's something to sure. be said for for um, being able to see what the other side looks like. It's actually how a lot of people feel when they finally become parents, and they're like, "Holy shit, this is hard!" Right? <laughs> wait, wait, mom and dad, you <laughs> yeah, didn't sleep for twenty years. <laughs> You can't get substituted out of that game, at least yeah. not easily. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that, that'd be the one the one delta there. Yeah, I mean, and so, but you know, I, this is something we talk about all the time in, in startups, right? And it's it's fail fast, right. right? Which is to say that like get to that point of failure, talk about why we failed, think about how we can do it differently next time, or if we still want to do that. And sometimes, you know, in, in terms of the trajectory of the startup, we decide that failure was for a fundamental reason and it happened. And that's actually right. We don't want to do that anymore. Let's, let's find a way around it. I think the same thing is, is definitely true within people's career progression. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And so, so with that said, you know, Ryan, if we kind of take a look at, at all of this, I think maybe some of the, the, the key takeaways that I'm seeing, and I, I'd love to hear yours. One for me has always been me personally, uh, as a founder, and in my case, as a young CEO, not assuming that just because I was young, that I didn't have the capabilities of taking on that role. It turned out that from a raw capability standpoint, I had some really good capabilities internally. I was creative. I was outgoing. I was ambitious, even though I had nowhere near the experience. You know, I was coming, I was a, a college dropout that was a theater major, right? So I had no experience, but I could make it up in capability. I, I think that's that's one piece. But then the only other point I would make in all of this is that I made the mistake for a long time of projecting my insecurity of what I didn't think I could do onto the career paths of the people around me. And that was a giant mistake because I, at the time, I really probably held back a lot of really good eggs that really just needed someone like me to let them run. I think, I think that is the key takeaway here. And, and we've, well, we have and we'll talk about this again, but it's about using the wrong measuring stick to measure something, whether that's the success of your startup the capability of an individual, the value of their experience in the past, their potential as somebody moving forward. I think that when we try to draw too many lines from too few and very disparate and sometimes very murky data points, we've really run the risk of getting the wrong answer when the right answer is to try it and see right? To let things prove it out, to set up test environments that will allow us to come to the the actual conclusion. Because in most cases, both in terms of, you know, starting a company and, and, and being a member of that company, whether you're leading it or just contributing to the success of that company, 
the proof is in the pudding. Agreed. Right? There's no real way, there's no crystal ball that's been developed to, to let us see that future. And so I think that it's it's important to put ourselves in positions where we're able to truly see that in reality and not to let our preconceived notions uh, or our guesswork get in the way of real success. Agree. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. But in the meantime, if you love what we're doing, head over to iTunes and subscribe and comment. If you want to contact us directly, we're not hard to reach. Email us at therapy at startups.com. Will and I respond to every email that comes in. Please don't be shy. What we learned today is a tiny fraction of the help that you can get from startups.com. Whether you need to learn how a startup gets built, to find a mentor or raise capital, to find new customers, or if you just need to connect with founders who are dealing with the same shit you are, you'll find it on startups.com. With all that said, let's get back to building our startups. This is Ryan Rutan for my partner, Will Schroeder, and the entire startups.com community saying goodbye for now, friends. Goodbye.